0: Without the on the <laughs> ¡Bienvenidos
1: without
0: bienvenidos empacadores sin fronteras dos papás dedicados al amor la risa Y los empacadores de Green Bay.
2: Packers Without Borders, the greatest podcast on the planet. Two dads talking love, life. Dedicated to the Green Bay Packers.
0: Go, Pack, go! Verde y amarillo hasta la muerte.
2: I always I love hearing from people from the States and they go see up North. And it's like, yeah. So everything that you think is up North is South, South for me. It is a real view. South and warm. <laughs> like Bruce, Bruce is telling me about El Paso. I, I I'm planning a trip down there. If uh, the Canadian government will ever release any passports. They're so behind because of COVID, right? Like they shut down. They were like, we're not giving anyone passports. Cause you can't travel anywhere. So now that they've opened everything up. It usually is about three to four weeks. You get your passport right now. They're saying the wait line, the waiting is like five to six months. So we put our stuff in, in like, it was probably May or something. eh? Hey, Bruce, it was shortly. No, you know what? It was shortly after you got here. So it was like June, June, beginning of June. And I thought, Oh yeah, I'll have it by September. Yeah. I was like, I'll have it by September. No problem. Yeah. Yeah. He's got seven degrees. I'm like, I'm going to be the only kid walking around El Paso in in shorts and a t-shirt. (laughs)
3: yeah <laughs> what's the heat
2: wave for you yeah oh i go whoo what's it like up here the best was his wife bruce's wife asked me before they come up here she goes should we bring a parka or something because it's only going to be like 24 degrees yeah and i was like you'll be fine don't worry and they get up here we're walking around in shorts and t-shirts and they're like the, the sun is different <laughs> like yes the sun up here like this in june july and august the sun gets up at about five in the morning and it doesn't set until dang near midnight right right and then in the winter in the winter the sun doesn't come up until probably about eight thirty-nine in the morning but by four thirty-five, it's down again exactly the opposite exactly yeah. yeah right people
3: don't realize that when the earth tilts yeah <laughs> the sun down south is going to get further away from you whereas up north it's going to be there like
2: the land of the midnight sun is what they used to call it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, that's that's probably another. If you were to drive it, it would be about another thirty hours north of me, right? To have the so, midnight sun. Okay. Yeah. Like I, I love Bruce's. Like it's a twenty-six hour to twenty-six hour drive to to El Paso, Texas. You'll go through you know eleven states to get here. And I said, oh, if you drive from my house north thirty hours, you're still in the same province. Yes. <laughs> you're, it you're goes still, all the way up to the North Pole. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's a big country, right? It's yeah, a big no.
0: Country. This is it takes me less time from El Paso to drive to San Diego, California, than it does from El Paso to Houston. Yeah. <laughs> I'm in the same state, so it shows you just the geography 100%. of stuff. Man, oh it's Saturday. Papa G, thank you for joining us again. My I'm pleasure. Mr. Robinson. I think he had something come up, but I will keep working on him. And if he dials in, then we will have Mr. Dave Robinson. But Absolutely. You are a good consolation prize, just in case, Mr. Uh, consolation Robinson.
2: Consolation prize. Yeah, a <laughs> wow, prize. Yeah, s- slow down with the compliments there, Bruce. My knees are knocking.
3: We <laughs> yeah. have
0: good time with you last time you
2: get you get the
3: runner-up for miss america and you You know
0: you know we had
3: i wanted the actual uh get the fuck out of (laughs) here there you go
0: that's that's the papa g i wanted to hear right off the bat there he is i had to get you riled (laughs) up right off the bat it took us a while to get going last time in
2: the background there
0: that is Is nora she is this is nora
2: Hi, hi nora
0: She's looking for coffee. She's helping me out today. So, yeah, okay. Is for the Americano or just, just the Americano. Uh, Chris no full- has
2: uh, got his own business going and uh, <laughs> he's convinced he's got time for the podcast too.
0: Well,
3: it's let great. him do it.
2: Let and him do luck. it. Good luck. Good
3: luck. He seems like he's got a good woman behind him. That's a good thing.
0: She's helping out. She's been wonderful. She's already got some experience in the kitchen and working in different places. So, I can actually. Walk away a little bit here. But yeah, I mean we're it's we're three days in. It's just we got busy today. It's been wonderful. Can't complain. I understand
3: that? And that's why I was glad that you were able to do this. Now oh, yeah. I gotta start this thing by one just one particular point that I want to make. It's kind of political, so fuck the people that don't like it. I had been on Twitter for ten and a half years. Ten and a half years. Never had a suspension. I had some warnings because I do get vocal. Yeah. So I'm making comments on Elon Musk's page, on his post. There was one other person that he named in it, but they were both MAGA idiots, in my opinion. Okay. He had posted that thing about uh, Biden, not Biden, um, Pelosi's husband. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It posted, it posted that conspiracy theory about him being in the gays thing with that guy that came and beat him with the hammer. And I said, Elon, you should know better than that. I said, you should be able to fact check better than this. You're the richest man in the world. Don't be a MAGA idiot all the time. I said, if you want to believe that MAGA idiot bullshit, here's, I got a con, I got a, a clue for you. Here's some pink elephants that have the secret, you know, information about The Democrats being baby-eating cannibals. Go find those pink elephants. Yeah, he banned me for that.
2: Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's 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 typical. It's typical of these. uh, And I don't want to lump in the whole group. But it's not all of them. Yeah, that whole mindset. The they they go freedom of speech until they hear it, and (laughs) then they go, "Wait, we got to ban this guy." It's OK for them to say their racist stuff, but exactly. it's not OK for me to say, you know, that's that's probably not a good and that's idea. That's what I said.
3: I said, you're When I did my appeal, I said, you're idiots can say this, this and this. And I put the quotes in there, you know, and actually screenshots. I said they can say this, but me saying maga idiots, even though I didn't point out one p- person specifically, you're going to say that I was harassing or, you know, Uh, something about harassment and whatever else they said I was doing, but targeting one person. I
2: said, it was all of you. (laughs) When they say they're going to fight for freedom, be rest assured that they don't mean yours. No, exactly right. It's ours. If you don't think the
3: way we do, you're
2: wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, it, it, uh, it, it translates a little bit up here in Canada and, and a lot of us, we, we kind of look at each other like, who are these freaking morons? You got these guys mostly from Red Deer, Alberta. That's you know, it's it's the most inbred Undertale. town in Canada, right? I yeah. mean, everybody, everybody is their cousin. The gene pool there is, I mean, if you did that ancestry.com pretty it small, just, yeah, right there. <laughs> You're all from right there. Your your sister, your mother, your brother, they're all everybody, your cousin, the mailman well, is well, your twice That well, is is when your sister can be your aunt too oh well you know when you're from red deer alberta and we ask this question all the time if you're from red deer alberta and your parents get divorced are they still brother and sister how does that work how does that yeah (laughs) yeah how does that work out legally but we, we get these guys all the time and they go you know we gotta make america great again it's like okay that sounds fantastic except you're canadian and you live in canada so what about maybe making our country a a little bit better there's a lot that we can work on up here as a country i don't think there's one country MC make canada great again and you know and 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 i don't think there's a country in the world that you know that can't say that there isn't something that they need to work on there isn't issues that they have to tackle Right, like I, I mean, you look over and it's like that. Oh well, Switzerland seems to have it all together. Well, actually, let me show you a whole laundry <laughs> list of Let's their problems. let show you a different size right? of Switzerland. <laughs> right? Yeah, and, you know, and they go, "Oh well, you know, Canada seems pretty good." And it's like, "Well, actually, let me show you all of our issues too." What What really makes me smile is when okay. they talk about the immigration from the southern border, and they go all these illegal aliens come from Mexico and they're doing this and they're doing that. And thus Canadians go. So, um, 65% of your illegal aliens are from Canada. They're Canadians. And, uh, exactly. they stay, they stay and because they look like you and talk like you, you don't give them a second look. And the other problem it that just you, shows the racism, right? And the other issue is, is, um, you think you guys have a problem with fentanyl? Where do you think Ooh. the guns come from in Canada. Who do you think sends those where? Who supplies where? them to us? Yeah. And what do we have, trade them for? <laughs> yeah, we don't have a gun manufacturer in Canada. We don't. So where are they coming from? I did not from. know. Honestly, yeah. God, I did not know you didn't have a gun manufacturer. Well, if we do, it would be a hunting single shot. Our government... That's what I meant. Yeah, okay. And, you know, and, and yes. our government, I, I love hearing the Americans, and they go, you're right to bear arms. It's like, okay, first off, If you remember your world history, the only country that seriously kicked your ass was Canada. Secondly, we don't need guns because we'll just punch your fucking lights out.
0: I was going to say, you just got a herd of moose, mooses, nieces that can uh, trample us.
2: We train them. They've all got black belts in karate. The, The, uh, uh, the entire uh, when you talk about gun control and they say it's socialism and communism in Canada, is it communism if eighty percent of the country comes out and says we're not going to allow this? Is that communism or is that democracy? It sounds to me like the majority speech, right? Right, and it's There's not a even like it's there. Yeah, it's not even like it's fifty-one percent to forty-nine. Like a lot of the issues in the states where it's real close, and yeah. you know, one week it tilts another no way the divide. next week. Exactly. Yeah. When it comes to gun control in Canada, when you walk down the street and you talk to a hundred people, there are only two that have an issue with gun control. And here's the best part. And I know I'm gonna, I know I'm gonna get shit for this. Ask those two if they have criminal records. <laughs> There's always
3: a cataclyle yeah,
2: explanation for those types of
3: circumstances.
2: The ones that scream the loudest are the ones that are more guilty. Yeah. Like in Canada, if you have a criminal record, you can't get a gun license, period. Period. In Canada, if you want a gun license, and I have one, I, I personally have one. It took me a full year to get it. The idea behind doing it that way is to get rid of the impulse buy. And like, when you take the exactly. course, when you take the course, I took the course with an ex, uh, he was, uh, from the Queens princess, Patricia elite. So this is like our Navy seals. Okay. Understood. And that's who taught our course. And he was like, listen, if you're, if you've got a clean criminal record check and on your criminal, when you do your check with, uh, the RCMP, they want to know who your last couple of girlfriends are because they're going to call them and they're going to ask how it ended right because (laughs) one of the big things is one of the big things is is people would buy a gun and go shoot their ex so now they're like when did you you know for me it was like i'd been married for 10 years at the time so if you want to talk to my ex i mean that was 12 years ago and they were like never mind but we do want to talk to three of your best friends right and if one of of them
3: passion murders
2: happen from crimes of passion at a a larger rate than don't. I mean, think about that last major shooting where the 18-year-old kid bought his gun, worked at McDonald's, turned 18, bought a gun, and then went on a mass shooting. Imagine if he had to wait four months to take his course. Then he took a three-day course, eight hours every single day. Then he had to wait four more months for the background checks. And then he had to wait a couple of weeks. So we're looking at almost a year for him to be able to purchase It probably a gun. wouldn't have He had to change his mind. And that's the whole purpose behind it, right? I don't personally own any guns. I have my uh, license. So that way I can go to the shooting range and I can use any one of their guns without having to bring somebody with me that has a license. So that was, you know, and maybe one day I'll buy a gun. I don't know. Who who knows what's going to happen, right? See, one thing I liked about Canada, back in the
3: 70s, when my brothers were like 12, 13, because they were born in the 60s, I used to take them up to Georgian Bay. Oh yeah, okay, beautiful. And we were not allowed to have any motors on that. Yep, Lake in, in Georgia Bay, and then in Indian. What was it was called Indian something? There was a place on Georgian Bay that was called Indians. I can't remember, but we go up there. We get a cabin for two weeks, and yep. we bring canned goods. But we catch what we ate. Yeah, and we go out there and shop, and you talk about moose. Okay, we were down this one tributary stream. It was a little bit wider, you know, but it was about eight, nine feet wide, about two or two to three feet deep. And all of a sudden, I heard this thing off in the distance, sound like a freight train. Yeah, I told my two brothers and the two friends that were there with us. I said, "Get up in a tree." Yeah. I said, "What do you mean?" I said, "You hear that?" I said, "Get up in the tree." We were there during rutting season. Oh this bull moose was protecting his territory. I said, believe me, this is not bullwinkle. No. I said this thing was about at its top when it reached up, it was about nine, ten feet high. Yeah. The antlers were out to here. Yeah. And we were up in that tree for about three hours.
2: Yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's what what I, I like watching, you know that uh who is that guy? He uh he has a pet grizzly and uh and uh, he was doing all these nature shows and educating people. Grizzly, about, Adam, Grizzly Adams? No, 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 no. Uh, it, it was recent. Uh, his, I do His wife is a famous actress. Anyway, he's trying to educate, you know, the world about, you know, bears and stuff and their habitats and what you're supposed to do. And he was showing uh, black bears from, uh, uh, you know, in the States, in uh, up by the, uh, I guess it was Montana or something. And okay. he goes – and, 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 you know, it's like a BBC. It's like one of those Discovery Channel things, right? They're, sho- they're showing a couple of black bears walking through. And he goes, oh, there's a full adult male black bear right there. He's about 250 pounds. And us Canadians go, oh, that's a baby. That's, that's a baby. That's, that's Our a Our bears are like 1,000 pounds. <laughs> well, no, no, like an adult male black bear. Okay, well, we just saw one on that same trip that uh, I was at. Bear. And I talked to you. Yeah, but uh, an adult male black bear. 450 500 right like they're, black they're, yeah yeah they're black they're, they're,
3: they're, they're I a about the bears i saw up in canada i saw the kodiak i mean i saw these grizzly i mean they were 11 1200 pounds
2: they were huge. well that's that's the the polar bears that bruce and his wife saw when we went to uh when, when we went to the zoo and these things yep. were just laying in the sun sunbathing those are 12 14 1500 pounds and those are yep. the small ones those are the small ones. They're kept in That's captivity, <laughs> right? They're kept in captivity so they get a balanced diet. They don't gorge. When you get up north and you get to, to Thompson and Churchill, where they roam the ice and they like they hunt people, right? Like these polar bears are very, very dangerous. These are monster, monster animals. Oh sure. Like it, you know, it's 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 neat to see the differences. Right. Between because we think of ourselves as Canadians and Americans, we think of ourselves as brethren. Right. Like you you guys see the same things that we do. We go through the same things. But then when you go through the like one of the first things that Bruce said was this this place is flat. And I said, oh, no, it it is super flat. And he said, no, seriously, it's really flat. And we were at a uh, festival, you know, a big carnival. And we're 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 doing the Ferris wheel and all the, you know, the toy rides and stuff. Right. And I said, I said, Bruce, I want to show you how flat things are. Do you see that farm equipment just over there on the right? And he says, yeah. I said, that blue farm equipment? He goes, yeah. I said, that's five miles away. He's like, what? I said, that's five miles away. He goes, it looks like it's just, I'm like, that is, it would take us about 20 minutes to drive. There's no ground clutter to stop.
3: It. <laughs> There's, <laughs> There's nothing. nothing.
0: It's there the only nothing. It was it's completely the... flat any direction you look. Oh. And here in El Paso, obviously you have mountains, and it's there's got I mean, some it's, it's beautiful. No, we yeah. got yeah, no, we got mountains. We got so Manitoba is the only place different. in the
2: world you can stand on your back deck and watch your dog run away for three days. Yes, <laughs> right. Like it is. It that, goes for, uh, it goes on and on and on. It is that flat, right? Yeah, like we don't have uh, mountains. They call it riding mountain. Here in Manitoba, but it's okay. like a it's like a steep hill. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like a <laughs> steep hill. I've I've lived in the, you know I've been to Vancouver and Victoria and that right near the Rockies, and that's right. shocking because you're standing there and you go where's the mountains and then somebody grabs your head and you tilt your head back and you look way up and you go holy crap what's that and they go that's Mount Vernon so that's that's actually in Washington. I'm like Washington, what? yeah, and they're like that's that's like 500 miles away. Oh, my God. And it, and it is that high in the sky at 500 miles away.
3: Yes. Right?
2: Like of all things, it should be, you know, a little bump and they're like, no, no. Perspective, right? You think yeah. gonna,
3: further away, it's going to get smaller, but it's still huge.
2: Yes. Oh, well, Bruce's daughter is here. So now the place will run properly. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so, I Papa my- G, I,
2: I assume you're, you've been watching the Packers. I've watched
3: them a little bit. Dave and I have talked about them more. Dave watches them a lot more than I do. Yeah.
2: What what do you think the team is lacking this year? What do you think, in your opinion, your humble opinion, what do you think is the key to our success? What do you think is the one thing? Honestly, when you look at a problem with a team
3: that's that widespread, It's a culture. It has nothing to do with the team or the coach at that time. The coach is the mouthpiece for up above. You have to do something with that GM up there. You've got to get a a person that can get the right personnel to replace the people that are either being injured, leaving by free agency. And when you have those places filled, you're going to see your team perform better. A quarterback can only do so much. A quarterback needs a cast. And if he doesn't have that cast, It's not the players that are picking these players to play next to them. It's the GM and the coach are putting in those people. So it has to come from the top down. It trickles down to this field level. When you see it on the field, it's already two or three years old. Yeah. Yes. And so my feeling is as Packer, you know, if I had season tickets and was part owner, I would get a coalition to say, we need to get that guy gone.
0: The GM. question for you. Wow. See, and that's something, because I was starting to think about that at some point, like, where is this coming from, right? So your experience of being in the locker room and being on the taxi squad, do you see some sort of dissension from the players to that? Like, is there something to the relationship between players and GM, or how does that work? Where, okay, let me, where
3: that let, me, let me explain a little bit about that. That's a good point. Because what you have, when you have 45, 52, 55 people, teams, You know, team players, you've got 52, 55 different egos. Each one of those egos wants to be right, wants to say that guy did it. It's always a finger-pointing thing. I did my job. He didn't do his job. But if that guy's not doing his job, your job's not going to be done properly either because it's got to work together as a team. So that's where the coach comes in and manages those personalities to get them to fit together and take away ego. Because usually ego is left at the door when I was younger and played. We, the, the egos didn't come in. If you ever used I or I did my job or that's not me, we had to run stairs. Yeah. To get yeah. that out of our system. The coach is the one who brings it to the locker room. But from the coach to the gm and the ownership up above that are making those decisions that he has to bring into the locker room you blame the coach because he needs to know better he's got to be strong enough to say this is what i need to do with my team you get me these types of players or we're going to put a poor shitty product on the field the coach has to be strong enough to stand up to those people
0: and that's what we've realized is I, I think that's the disconnect that happened this year. Two years ago, when Aaron Rodgers came in and we had the drama, and I understand part of the problem is that the team gave up some some control to Aaron Rodgers. But it seems like it's gone to the other end now, where Aaron Rodgers is the one speaking up and doing the coach speak for people. Right? He's the one making the comments that Matt Lafleur is. And we were talking about this maybe two weeks ago when we lost to the Lions. It was. Who's going to Aaron Rodgers to hold him accountable for being basically the problem on the team as a player? He's had one good game, maybe not even two this year. Two yeah, this year. So he's part of the problem. Savage is the other problem, but I agree with you, you got
3: to realize he doesn't have somebody to check him, and that's what you're saying. Exactly. Exactly. You don't have the other people that can give him shit when he fucks up, so yeah. to speak. I mean. Aaron Rodgers has been around for a long time and we get that he's been successful with the pack, but that's when better people were his coach and better people were in that upper level office that brought people in. So when you lose that from above Aaron Rodgers, he's his ego starts to feed into, I can do those things now. And yeah. he alienates
2: players. I promise you that. Have you ever been on a team, Papa G, that was a democracy? It came from the coach down. Yeah, it was a dictatorship, was it not? It was, it was this is the way. I would call yeah. it authoritarian. Yeah, yeah. This is the way I want it done. This is the way you're going to do it. Do you think Vince Lombardi would have ever pulled the Absolutely guys aside? Not- and said, let me think about what do you guys think about this? What do you think about that? Right. He never did that. He Hell said no.
3: we're going to do it. Yeah. No, I wish Dave was here because when I met him when I was 12.
2: Yeah.
3: And he must the hair that I had on my head at that time. <laughs> and I had the football signed by all those guys. And I met Vince, you know, because my dad knew him. Vince Lombardi outside of the locker room was that type of person he would listen to what you had to say but in that locker room on the field it was his way or no way if he yeah. sat down you didn't look for a fucking chair you sat on the ground yeah that's the type of power he commanded but you need that from a coach at this level too even 50 years later you need a coach that's going to be able to tell the players i'm in charge you're the player." You can sit the bench if you don't want to do it the way I want it done.
0: And they you know,
3: something
0: with this generation that I've learned with my girls and just in working with people at this age, because that, not that it doesn't work, but there has to be, con- it's not necessarily saying I'm here, you're here, right? Because they're going to fight that every way, especially these guys oh. that are multimillionaires oh. and, and think they're. The world, yes. right? I agree. I think what really helps in in terms of approaching it the way that I approach it with my daughters, it's more along the lines of having consistency being consistent in your message not flaying like if you believe something if you're true to what you believe in your consistent people will buy into it it's not you're, it doesn't work to say because i'm doing it this way this is how you're going to do it it doesn't work like that with these players anymore because they're already millennials they're already in that age group where they're, they've come up in an instant gratification society with a phone with something where it's immediate you know they want everything right then and right then and there. And I think one of the things is just making sure that as an adult or as somebody who's a little bit older, if you're running something, you have to be consistent. You can't veer off if you truly believe it, if you want something to buy into it. And I think part of the problem is when Matt LaFleur switched and switched off of him being the leader of the team and handing some of those responsibilities to Aaron Rodgers, the message got completely broken because then everybody said, well, if Aaron can do it, so can I, I well, think that, that's, that's my point. point. That is my point because a coach won't relinquish those powers to another player because it
3: does separate at that point. And you got to have them working as a team. So what it has to be is the coach. I agree with consistency. I agree with the consistent message, but I don't agree that the coach listens to anybody else. He has his assistants that can bring him some feedback, but during the game that coach is the ultimate. He's the only person you listen to. He's the only person giving directions. He's the only person telling you this is what your duty is at this time. A coach has to be able to take those 52 or 55 personalities and make it work with them so they work together as opposed to separate. And that's what I see going on now. Each player saying, well, I'm doing my part. I could give a fuck about those guys over there. Yeah. Well, that's not a team mentality. No. And that's the coach. That's 100% the coach. As as a coach. the right players, that's when you need the GM to bring in
2: those people.
3: And as a coach,
2: coach, you are watching the field. You see the guys. You know the guys that are putting the work in. You don't have to look over their shoulder because they're putting the work in and you recognize it immediately. And that's a part in the in the, that, that that's a cog in the machine that you don't have to fix there's no reason to fix that he's doing exactly what if he they're needs to doing do doing your job exactly right there's yeah. no need for me to overcoach if you're doing your job the way we taught you from the beginning exactly <laughs> Hi, I'm Amy, I'm from Wichita, Kansas I'm Alex Brown from the Derby City, Louisville, Kentucky This is Alyssa from Los Angeles Alright, I'm Andy from Sheffield This is Chris from Nova Scotia Hey, this is Aaron
3: Alice from Indianapolis, Indiana Hi everybody, this is Henry from Turkey Hi, I'm Carla from California G'day, this is Mel from Melbourne, Australia
2: This is Mick coming from Granger, Indiana This is Soren, Soren coming to you from Sweden And this is Packers Without Borders
3: This is Packers Without Borders Packers Without Borders Packers Without, Borders. Packers Without Borders.
0: Listen to Two Losers on Packers Without Borders.
2: Thank you for listening to Packers Without Borders. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and anywhere else you get your favorite podcasts.
0: Also, you can find our merch on Without packerswithoutborders.myshopify.com and tea public if you want cups, mugs, and those types of things. You can also visit us on Patreon.com front slash Packers Without Borders and give us some money. And Audibletrial.com front slash Packers Without Borders. Give them a click, check them out, try that 30 die free trial with them, and enjoy your books. Peace and go
3: pack go. Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt.
0: Bruce and Matt.
2: Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt.
0: Matt and Bruce.
2: Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce.
0: Bruce and Matt. Bruce and Matt. Matt and Bruce. Matt and Bruce.
2: Matt and Bruce. Bruce and Matt.
3: Packers Without Borders. Packers Without Borders. Packers Without Borders. Packers Without Borders.
2: We're listening to my dad and his friend Bruce on Packers Without Borders.
3: I'm your doctor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's the prescription.
1: Deepak Chona, here to bring you your winning injury edge for fantasy football and betting. To stay up to date, make sure you follow us on Twitter at SportMDAnalysis and Instagram at SportsMedAnalytics. Now let's dive in. This is Saturday morning heading into week 11. Starting with Mark Andrews, video from week eight suggests an AC joint sprain of his shoulder. These most commonly cost two to four weeks for tight ends. Andrews is now at three, so he does have an excellent chance to play. Not much of a performance impact is generally seen when tight ends return from this injury. Now with Kyler Murray, he is a true game time decision, but most quarterback hamstrings take about two weeks to return, which is his current timeline. Add in the fact that his practice progression compared to historical data, give him about a 60% chance to play, and we would lean towards Murray starting this week. Now, if you are planning to start him, you need to snag Colt McCoy or Jimmy Garoppolo for your bench, because they're going to be the only available backup options by the time Murray tests his hamstring out in pregame warmups on Monday night. Then we have his stud teammate DeAndre Hopkins. Now he's another game time decision for the Cardinals. Our algorithm actually gives Hopkins slightly less than 50% chance of playing. However, his quick timeline to return to practice suggests a pretty mild injury. Add in the fact that he, historically, has played through a number of questionable designations, and we'd actually lean towards Hopkins playing with only a mild, approximately 10% performance hit. And then another Cardinal, Marquise Brown. Now, average return for wide receivers from this takes about five weeks, which is right where Brown is now. So he has a decent chance of playing, but if he's active, we'd typically see a moderate, about 15% performance hit during the first two games back. Then Devonte Adams. Now Adams is likely dealing with a core muscle strain. Most wide receivers would be able to play through this without missing game action. There is an elevated reaggravation risk here, but minimal performance impact expected. Then DeAndre Swift. Now typical ramp ups for running backs coming off of serious in-season injuries take at least 4 weeks. Swift has now had only 3, So we'd be avoiding him through at least week 11 and starting Jamal Williams confidently for at least one more game. Then Gus Edwards. Now this one's a little tricky and a little unique. He's probably ready to play, but he's a really high risk starter for week 11. He had a hamstring strain and healthy hamstrings protect the newly reconstructed ACL that Edwards had this off season. So most commonly we'd see a committee approach to the running back this soon after this type of strain. And then Lamar Jackson, now he's been sick, but not injured, so expect him to play week 11. And then Jamar Chase, now don't let reports of Chase being on crutches scare you. That was very much expected for the first four weeks of this injury recovery. He does have an outside chance to return week 12, but we wouldn't expect the stud level of performance to return immediately. By week 13 or 14, we are very likely seeing him back at pre-injury levels. Then David Njoku. Now, four weeks into recovery from an injury that averages four to five for tight ends, we'd lean towards Njoku playing this week. However, most players and tight ends would see a moderate, about 15% production hit through the fifth week of this injury. Now, Ezekiel Elliott. Most likely playing this week. These injuries averaged three to four weeks for running backs. He's now had four. Expect close to the full strength player on a per play basis, but don't be surprised if Tony Pollard still sees some more touches than normal in week 11. And then Jerry Judy. Now they're calling him day to day, but he didn't practice this week. Video from week 10 suggested a high ankle sprain, and even mild versions of that average 2-3 to three weeks. We would say Judy has an outside chance to play week 12, but the more likely outcome compared to historical data would be return week 13. And then Keenan Allen. Now it looks like Allen is finally ready to make his return, but we'd avoid starting him before seeing him make it through at least one full game. Re-injury risks for hamstring strains in players over 30 that have already been re in season are extremely high. And on top of that, a production hit of about 20% is typical for wide receivers in their first game back. And then Mike Williams. Now Williams also looks poised to return this week. At four weeks off of what looked like a severe high ankle sprain, we would anticipate at least a 10-15% dip in Williams' explosiveness. Over the next two weeks, we'd expect him to progress quickly back to normal. And then, Chase Young. Now, while Young has a a chance to return week 11, reporting out of Washington suggests he's not quite ready just yet, and that's not that surprising. 12 months removed from ACL surgery means his knee is likely close to fully healed, but mental readiness is critical as well. We'd be surprised to see a losing team like Washington rush their stud young player back early, so we'd lean towards a Week 12 return. Got more injuries that you want to know about? Hit me with your questions on Twitter, and we'll get the FAQ shortly. Until next time, peace out.
0: And that's and where the consistency the other... comes in, right? The consistency. Like, Matt, you've talked about how... The way that you coached, you always had your exact status. Like the way that you ran your team was exactly the same. You gave people opportunities if they deserved it. It wasn't just because, you you know, just because you're the all-star doesn't mean you're going to start. You have to be consistent with that. And that's, I mean, you've preached about this from the coaching side well, the time, man.
2: And and it's like Amari Rogers, right? In, it, it, in all the years of coaching and playing, I've never, ever seen a player go up to the coach and say, hey, coach, watch me fuck this playoff right i've i've never seen i've never seen that happen because nobody wants to do that nobody wants to be the butt of the joke nobody wants to be the highlight nobody wants to be the terrible you know spotlight on that team and when amari rodgers dropped his first couple of fumbles i honestly i was like this is growing pains this is what happens these issues don't think for a second he's not in practice I triple t- working I tell on you that right thing.
3: this is what dave told me <laughs> and this is dave now yeah. dave He knows the sport as good or better than anybody. Yeah. When he talked about that guy dropping, he said, when he did it more than two or
2: three times. Yeah. You got to get him out of there. You you have to. You you give him a couple of opportunities, right? You go, okay, two or three. Yeah, exactly. If if he goes out there and let's say over an entire season, he dropped two, you go, well, that's not so bad. He's got to really work on that, right? Exactly. But when you get like to game five and he's already dropped three, it's three. Like, we got to get him out of too there. Much. We got to get him out of there. There's something that, in his head. And, and, you know, maybe the change of scenery to Texas will we'll fix that. I mean, look at Amon Green. Yeah. Amon Green sometimes couldn't hold on to. Of, sometimes a change of, you know,
3: place where you're, you're playing does make a difference. But let me tell you a quick story here. Back in 1992, okay, Eddie George is a rookie. He dropped three punts in his first game. Cooper benched him for two years. Never saw another play for two years. Now, Cooper says, you got your chance in 94 and 95. You've been gone your first year. Coming back, you can do this. He comes out and he's a Heisman Trophy winner. And that's Eddie George. Yeah, That's not Coach Cooper. Coach Cooper fucked up by not letting him back into the team for two seasons. That was stupid. It's wrong. A coach has to be able to tell what good talent is or when something is mental, or is it physical? Are they really physically limited, like they're not that fast? He let this guy get by him twice, or is it dropping fumbles? That's 100% up here, between the ears. Something's going on there that you have to deal with. So this guy, Dave said... He would not have had an opportunity to do a fourth fumble. He would have yeah. been gone. He would have yeah. been benched
2: forever. Yeah. Dave said I, I'm a three strikes you're out type guy too. That's exactly yeah. what Dave said. Yes. If it was if it was one or two strikes in a season, I I can live with one that's over or the two course strikes. Of Seventeen games. Yeah, that's and, and how many punts in a game? Right, five, six, eight punts in a game. I mean, we're talking usually more than a handful. Right. Yeah. We're talking about 50, 60 punts. He's going to return and he only dropped a couple. You go, okay. When the guy has eight career catches and seven career fumbles, it's, it's time. Now I think back There's to Amon Green. Right. Yeah. I think to Amon Green, when he was with Seattle, the guy couldn't hang on to a ball for more than sec- more than three seconds. He was fumbling, fumbling, fumbling. Seattle gets rid of him to green Bay. Brett Favre gets Amon Green. He's like, we've got ourselves a back. What do they do in Green Bay? They make him change from his elbow pads that he's wearing to these rubber sleeves instead of pads. And suddenly on he's my green, on i ball. mean, Now he's holding on to the ball. I mean, and he and, and yes, he had some fumbles. Aaron Jones has some fumbles. When you're a running Everybody back that gets 20 fumbles the ball, yeah. When you when you're carrying the ball 20 times and you've got you know, 12 other 11 other guys on the other side of the field that are punching away at that ball. Occasionally, it's going to pop out, man. It's just going to you're going to grab it the wrong way, you're going to catch it the wrong way, you're going to turn and fire. And just like in the last game, there, Aaron Jones takes a helmet right to the football. I've never seen anyone hang on to a ball when the helmet comes right off of the football like that. When there's right? a like lot, it, all that force behind
3: it, yeah. you're absolutely right. It's, it's so difficult to for people to fathom 25 pounds of pressure will break that bone. Yeah. And yet when it's in a certain position, it strengthens it. But when a the football's there, it takes that out of it. So when you get hit, it hurts. Oh, yeah. And oh, yeah. Trust me, your fingers, you get stuck in the arm. Your fingers are going to do this first. They're going to open up. They're going to. That's the first thing your nerves will do is open to try to spread out the pain. And so well, when that happens, when you get hit with that helmet where you're carrying the ball, you're, you're not going to hold on to it as much. There's some people that can and do because they don't get hit in that exact spot. But with getting hit that many times, like you just said, your fingers are going to do this first. They're going to open up and that ball is going to come out. And that's just like you said, one of those, one or three times in the season out of yeah. 17 games, instead of three
2: times in five games, you know, and, and, and when you're getting tackled, that's exactly how, I mean, I played safety, but I broke my wrist. I, I, I intercepted the ball and I took off. And I was about to get caught. There was a couple of wide receivers and a tight end that were circling in on me. And I was like, here we go. And what you don't realize is that when you see that hit coming, the automatic response of a human being is to protect yourself. So you get your arm in the way, which was the dumbest freaking thing I could have done, because not only did they slam me right into the wrist that was holding the football, breaking my wrist. Right. So when you see guys like Aaron Jones and these these other running backs, and they're running, and all of a sudden they go to get hit, when they see that hit coming, that arm comes to protect. They don't want to take a shot in the ribs. If you've ever been <laughs> shot in the ribs, I mean, forget it. You get the wind I've knocked out of you. Yes, yeah. it's, it's not seen, fun.
0: That's like in rugby. That's actually what you had to do is when you would run into the pile, you would hold the ball tight, and you would actually hold it, and you would take the contact on your arm into your ribs and then right. you would use the other hand to push off. So yeah, that was exactly. always, you were always getting hit on the But there's certain times when you don't
3: see that coming, and that's the whole point. It catches you off guard, and that's when fumbles occur. When you don't yeah. see the hit coming in from the side, you're focused over here, and you get hit in that same place, but you're not protected now. You're not covering up for that, and that's what happens in football. Look what happened with Ernest Piner, and this is the thing I go back to with the fumble. He's got the ball on the four-yard line. And he's running into the end zone. Everybody didn't see the guy from the side come in and hit the ball where he was protecting from the guy in front of him, not the guy from the lateral side, from the side. He hit him and knocked the ball out and was knocked out on the four-yard line and Denver recovered the ball. Yeah. Everybody thought he got into the end zone and scored the winning touchdown. But he fumbled it because the guy from the side hit him. He wasn't hit by the guy that was right here. And so that was unexpected contact at the wrong place, wrong time, whatever, and he fumbled
2: the ball. It's always the intangibles, right? He fumbled the ball the whole year, though, in all 16 games. We we go to the Buffalo-Minnesota game. Buffalo's got the ball on the one-yard line, and, and everybody's giving Josh Allen a little grief, and Josh Allen even gave himself a little bit of grief for fumbling it. But we've got to remember, Josh Allen gets up on the line, now he's thinking, okay, I got to slide my protection. This is the play. I got to do this. I'm moving this guy over there. Who's this guy? Is this guy coming across? Is that the linebacker that's going to come and get me? Okay. Now I get, get it ready to snap it. He starts to do his cadence and he's got to remember his cadence because the whole line is going off of everything he says. Mm-hmm. And so he's thinking about 35 other things that he's supposed to be thinking about. And the one thing he wasn't really concentrating on was the snap. And there it is, right? He drops the ball. Minnesota recovers. Minnesota wins in dramatic fashion. And everybody goes, oh, what a bum. Josh Allen had 35 other responsibilities. He was trying to get a wide receiver to come in tight. Tight end. Hey, you got to slide this way. Watch this guy over here. Running back coming this way. Make sure you get this guy here. Okay, here we go. What's the cadence again? What did I say we were going on? Right? Like, there's so much that goes into. There's so much going on. You're right. You you can. When you, your mind gets distracted,
3: like you said, when you have other things to, you know, turn your focus to. Most people try to stay tunnel vision. This yeah. is my one duty. This is the one thing I'm looking for. This is what I'm going to react to. Whereas a quarterback has to see that whole field. He has to make sure that the 11 guys on the other side where the other 10 guys are in the right place for this particular play. Like you said, the other part of it is he's got to remember to catch the ball. <laughs> yeah. You know, and he took his mind off of it. He was looking somewhere else when it happened, and the ball hit the turf, and you know, they, they lose the game. But that is once in a blue moon. They he is a good quarterback. He is really the better class. I mean, you look at Baker Mayfield, who came out the same time. The other guy, I can't remember his name, but you know, the quarterbacks that came out there were all big, highly touted. And he's Josh is the best guy to come out from there. He's the best yeah. quarterback that came out of that class, in my opinion. But everybody makes mistakes, like you said, and it's not something that's repeated. If he does that more than once, then you get start getting down on him. Yeah. Like the guy for Green Bay. You know, yeah. Dave, when he said after three, he was been gone. I said, How can you argue against that? Yeah. You've done this three times in five games, which is, you know, we're still not even one third of the season gone. Dave said, get rid of him. Or at least set them down for a while, let them start thinking about something else. Yeah. Because he said that when you get the yips in golf, you know, like when you shank in golf and you can't turn it off, the yips. thing to get it out of your mind. Yep. And when it gets there like that, when you fumble that many times or that consistently, you got to get their mind off of it by getting them doing something else. Absolutely.
0: Yeah. I mean, but who's going to put him in check is part of the problem. You know, like with this entire conversation, what it comes down to is everybody needs to be held accountable and nobody's holding Aaron Rodgers accountable at this point. And that's where the team is. I mean, including the coach. The coach
3: did that. The coach did that.
0: Yep. Exactly. And that's why we've been, you know, even on the defensive end, you've got Barry who can't, can't get out of his own way. And we've noticed from day one and it's going to take forever for this team to actually pull the pull the plug on this coach, on this defensive coach, continually is not making adjustments, not utilizing the personnel that they need to. But now Matt LaFleur is starting to creep into this a little bit as well, right, by not doing what what a head coach is supposed to do, which is manage the team, hold everyone accountable. Well, the, whole thing. On the Let same me ask block. you
3: this. Let me yeah. ask you this. When do you – and let just go to baseball. Yeah. Because that's where something is done that football doesn't even think about. When a starting pitcher is having a bad day, do they give him a chance to try to get out of it or do they pull him and put somebody else in there?
0: They pull him immediately. And do, does the guy miss his next start? Absolutely not. That's the whole okay. point.
3: Yep. So the mentality is you have people that can come in and do the job better at that particular time. Why would the quarterback, when he gets put down because he's having a bad game, they bring somebody else in, there's all of a sudden the quarterback controversy.
0: You know, that's really interesting that you mentioned that because across the board, just the way that that baseball approaches the the makeup of a team versus uh, an NFL team or football in general, it's like when you get benched in football, it's like you're losing your job as opposed to, no, you're not. That's exactly makes complete sense because you could rotate people out for certain situations in baseball. You even have a specific position that's a DH just to come in and bat and, and just do one and specific... And the National
3: League finally relented to that, too.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Because so, it
3: just makes more sense. Like, pitchers used to go the whole game. The complete games were like 90% 50 years ago. Yep. I remember Wilbur Wood, Mickey Lulitz used to pitch both parts of a doubleheader. 18 yep. and... And they never talked about pitch count. Now... Sure, you want to protect people. Sure, you want to make sure that they don't overdo something. But... In pitching, if the pitcher is having a bad day, they replace him in a heartbeat. They don't wait it, for 10 runs to come across the board. They wait for two or three in an inning and they say, well, maybe we need to look to replace him. This quarterback has five attempts and three interceptions and two incompletes. He's over five.
0: Why sit do him down do for this? a half.
3: Sit him down for a quarter. Except, or a half or the game. Whatever. Why yeah. Coming in is having a better game. But why do they feel necessary to keep him in there? Oh, he'll work through it bullshit
0: wouldn't that be a, a great experiment
3: because he i would like, fucking up.
0: i would like to see the reaction from aaron Rodgers if matt lafleur walked up to him after those three interceptions and sat his ass down if he would pout or if he would come back and actually do something about it that's, what, I, that's the
3: mentality that's the warrior spirit if i get taken out of the battle for a moment because i'm tired or whatever i need to have a, a, a you know a break and have a breather on the field right I never wanted to come out. I never wanted to be the man that be sat down and somebody else replaced me. But guess what? When I came back, I came back that much tougher.
2: Oh yeah, no, I I got benched one time halfway through the second quarter of a game, and I mean, I sat there, I was fuming, and I was furious. I was like a kettle, you know, I was getting ready, and it started the third quarter. Yeah. And I, we started the third quarter and the coach said to me, I'm going to put you back in, but listen, you can't be doing no more of this little shoulder tackling, letting him go business. You're the safety. You've got to get him down. I don't care how you do it. And I said, no problem. And I wasn't even listening to him. I was beyond focused. And the moment they snapped that ball and the running back came through, I was like a torpedo. I blew that kid up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But see, you focused it.
3: You were able to channel it instead of letting it get into your head and you play worse. You focused it to say, guess what? I'm going to remove this other BS and I'm going to do this job. And I know how to tackle. I made some bad attempts before, but I got benched and guess what? I'm not going to let that happen again.
2: Yeah. Never, ever again. And, you know, and I tell, I tell my daughter that you lost uh, your job. You lost your time on the field at that point, but you didn't lose your job for it. I I tell my daughter that I tell her about the experience of uh, one time I tried out for double A ball and I really, really wanted to play the infield. Right. And I really wanted to play shortstop. And I went out there and I half asked the tryout and they stuck me way out, you know, in left field and second string. And the next year, I said to myself at tryouts, ain't no balls going to get past me. I don't care if I got to take it off the face, take it off the leg. I I am going after everything with everything I got. Right. And I finished the tryout. My, my, My sweats were ripped. My shirt was ripped. I was completely filthy head to toe. I had bruises all over my arms and hands, and they handed me the starting position. And so I told my daughter when go. she tried when she tried out for the varsity team. I said, you got to leave it all out there, whatever it is. Die for it. Bleed. Whatever you have to do. If you want it, you have to want it more than that other guy. You have to want it. You know, it, it, with every when piece. You have of to your be brain. able to pay. You
3: have to be able to pay that price to work that hard. So yeah. th- let me ask when you get when you take preparation, practice, and working hard, and that meets opportunity what happens
2: then? Great things. Great things
3: happen. Success. When preparation meets opportunity, when you're ready for that opportunity, you're going to shine. If you're not ready, more, more than likely you're going to fail.
0: And that's going back to this team. And one of the things that we identified with the Packers was exactly that the lack of preparation and being prepared. And this started back three years ago And the, And it was actually, I think it would probably be that San Diego game, Matt, where they went down to San Diego and there was like 10 San Diego stadium was full. And it was like a secondary stadium that was full of Packer fans. And we shit the bed because they didn't show up. And then notes come out afterwards with, well, guys weren't really, there was no curfew. We need to settle down, whatever. That was like the first of it. And then in the playoffs, every single time the guys haven't shown up and now it's kind of compounded into this year ayahuasca tea, witch girlfriends, excursions, not showing up and practicing with the brand new set of wide receivers that you all have. And now you have, have all the of these. Way. And it set the precedent and it started three years ago. It compounded when Aaron Rodgers was going to retire and they handed over the reins. And now this year he doesn't show up and it's showing. He has no energy, no synergy, no, c- with anybody on the team, right? Like it's Randall Cobb and Mercedes Lewis, and that's fucking it. Like, when you're looking at everything else that's, that's out there, it's a hit or miss because he is off because he did not take the time to prepare. And when you don't prepare. Well, let me ask you this. Preparation, we agree that that's a key to everything.
3: Practicing hard, training hard, being ready. But when you take the field to actually play the game. So who is in charge of preparation? The coach the Man. coach but who does it have to come from the gm exactly you have to be able to tell those people down the line this is what's going to happen this is what we have to do to prepare for this season upcoming and you have now four to 5 preseason pre-season games well, you, you know, can test the
0: people in and different positions. And, and in different the places. problem is that they went through preparation A, preparation B, preparation C, D, E, F, G, and now they're finally on preparation H, and preparation H goes where? <laughs> that's right it. in the
2: hole. Right in the hole. But, the, but the, you but know, whenever I hear
3: – That's when I said that you have to work from up down. That's what's happening on the Packers is that the people from up above aren't setting the right – you know, a texture. They're not setting the right mental attitude in what we want to accomplish. They're not getting to the preparation, which has to happen before any of the other good things happen.
2: You know, whenever I hear the coach says, "Well, my guy, the, the energy was low and blah blah blah," I'm like, "That's all you. That's, that's all him. you, buddy. That's a hundred percent." Like coach. you looking in the if mirror. If your guys aren't ready to go, yeah, that's you. That's you. They should be frothing at the mouth like wild dogs ready to get out there. And if they go out there going hum, dum, ho, hum, drum, that's you. That's your system. That's, that's your coach. game plan. That's that's 100% you. If the coach so, accepts that, apathy like
3: that, if the coach accepts it, no matter what I do, it's not going to make a difference, you won't be on the fucking team if I was the coach.
2: I know. There, there would be a handful
3: apathy of – Apathy is like a cancer. Yeah. It'll spread throughout that locker room in a heartbeat. If somebody feels that, that one bad egg is going to spoil the whole bunch. And that's what's happened on the Packers. And it's sad to see because that never used to happen. Because you had a coach that was strong enough to sit there and tame those players' egos.
0: look at the issue and how much we criticize Mike McCarthy, right? We talked about this when we were about to play the Cowboys and just give the guy some respect because he was actually able to get a Super Bowl out of Aaron Rodgers, right? I mean, as and everything going on, he was able to meld that team and I understand the hero ball that's carried over, but that was obviously Aaron Rodgers because he continues to do the same thing and it was Mike McCarthy knowing how to manage that situation, but again with Ted Thompson setting expectations and this is something that they did, this is why I don't I don't understand why they can't apply the same philosophy that they have with players, with coaches. As soon as a player, look at Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews still had a year or two. He was beloved, everything you wanted. All of these players, Micah Hyde, right. Was another player that they just, they saw something got rid of them right away. Why is it that they hang on so much with these fucking coaches? Like Joe Barry should have been last year was special teams after week seven, just cut the cord. It's not going to do any, you're not going to do it any harm. Up like and now this year again with Joe Barry just why? Because you know he's going to finish out the season. He's probably going to still be here in the offseason because what they're saying is that the guys aren't executing whatever it is that he's trying to do. But ultimately, what he's trying to implement is garbage. It's absolute fucking trash. He's not putting his players in position to succeed because of what he does. I don't understand why they can't pull the trigger on that like they do. Well, with do players. you realize
3: what now? Why they have so many other coaches out there? Because they can sometimes see something that the coach that's the head coach doesn't see because he's so much into the mix, like seeing the trees through the forest. Sometimes you need that guy that's over here as a quarterback's assistant coach or a running back's coach or a tight ends coach that has an assistant behind him. They're the ones who see something, bring it to that guy, and then that guy puts it to the head coach because he's got the ear from the coach to give him that time if you don't have the proper people doing their jobs in the coaching end, the players aren't going to be able to execute.
0: Yeah. And that's why we had you on Papa G. It was important to kind of shed some light on this. It has been fantastic. I mean, you know, when we lose, it's kind of hard to find the reasoning behind it, but I've, we felt it was important to have you on. We were really hoping to have Dave on. We'll try to schedule with him a little bit later. I, he's, he's a busy man. So we'll, we'll work Absolutely on getting him on right. to get the Packers perspective of it, but you being the next player, understanding how that locker room works. That perspective was really important. So we appreciate you coming on Papa G and, and talking with us. It's always fun. Next time we have you on, we'll actually have a, a game for you and we'll That's get what that. I thought you were going to have, but yeah. I you
3: don't.
0: <laughs> yeah. But let me
3: tell you guys this, the Packers are my second favorite team. I watched them almost as much as I did the Browns when I was growing up because of my dad and being a friend of Vince Lombardi, the Packers, are like the second place in my heart. It's like you have your first daughter and then you got your second daughter. They both share the spot, but one has that first spot. And so that's the Browns with me and the Packers. But I've watched the Packers because I talk to Dave every week. Of course. And he he's like worse than you guys. He's in a worse that's why I think he wasn't here today. He didn't want to talk about the Packers. It, I'm, I'm serious. He was, he was avoiding
0: texting calls. He was real active, and all of a sudden he disappeared after the loss on Thursday. So I think maybe that's what I happened.
3: Him, the last time I talked to him was yeah. Thursday, two days ago. And it was yeah. after the games, and he was he was just not in the right
2: frame of mind. He goes, yeah, I got it. Yeah, I'm he, he was in Green Bay, by the way. You know, it's, it's funny. Uh, every time the Packers win on NFL total access, we get about 18 seconds where the highlights, every time they lose, we get a four hour mini series about yeah. how they lost. So I, I got to say, uh, if you got any questions for us, don't forget you can find us at Packers without borders at outlook.com for mailbag Monday. Make sure you send in your questions. You can also find us at borders, Packers on Twitter, Packers without borders on Facebook and Instagram Packers without borders merch. This is it. This is the last weekend. We are done. Uh, Bruce is pulling the pin on Monday. No more shirts. No more prize. Nothing. You can't get it. You can send us money. We'll take money. But uh, you uh, can't. So will I. <laughs> yeah. So will Papa I'll give G. My Venmo. <laughs> Papa G. Thank you so much for joining us this Saturday. You enjoy the rest of your day. It was my pleasure. You guys, best of luck in the future with this. And like I said, the Packers aren't done yet.
3: They still have a shot, but they got to do some internal stuff that, you know, we have nothing
2: to say about it. Yeah, absolutely. Peace. Take care. Go pack go. This has been Packers Without Borders. Try and be kind to one another. Try and
0: love each other. And go Pack Go. Esto ha sido Empacadores Sin Fronteras. No se les olvide cuidarnos unos a los otros. Hasta luego. Hey, nobody said fuck the Vikings, what's that all
3: about?